Welcome to the final episode of this Livewise series on creativity equations, where we'll be looking at jumpstarting our creativity. So as an introduction to uh, today's uh, session, let me just read this passage from Genesis. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So the purpose of God of creation is multiplication. Uh, God has asked us to reproduce and God has put his creativity DNA in us. And as we collaborate, as we work together, we see his kingdom advanced. So as we're talking about creativity, let's, uh, let's look at one question I would like to start with, which is how do you know if you're being creative? How do you know if you're innovative or not? So I remember a while ago, a friend of mine who was a pastor who, who was really looking at new ideas of doing church, went to see a, a friend of mine who was leading a church and said, you know, I'm looking for new ideas, uh, fundamentally new kind of paradigm shifts in, in innovation and the ways of reaching our community. And, and a pastor I knew said, well, let me take you to our church. We're doing some really radical stuff. And when he got to the church, they walked through the church doors and the pastor went, there you go. And he looked and he thought, well, what can I see? And he said, well, we've got sofas in the foyer. We've got sofas in the foyer. And for this pastor, that was pretty radical. Whereas to my friend, it wasn't radical at all, to be honest with you. So I think there are three signs to true creativity, signs that help us really understand if we're being creative or not. And they're things that we can ask ourselves. The first one is this. Creativity precedes laws. If you think about it, God's law came after he created the world, and that's typical. Um, you think about medicine. Uh, people are coming up with new ways of, of using medicine and genetics, and laws have to be introduced afterwards to kind of contain or to work out what's good and what's bad. So when you know that laws are being made because of what you're doing or rules and guidelines are being created because of what you're doing, generally that's a good thing, unless it's just that you're being rebellious or something. But most of the time it's good. For instance, uh, a Pays example would be there were a, a team that went into a school in America and uh, most of the team had their uh, background check, but one member of the team couldn't get their background check, not because there was anything wrong, but just because of logistics and where they were from. It took a little bit of a time, there was a delay. So the team decided to Skype that person into the lesson. So there was a team of three, plus somebody who came on and told stories and shared their story via Skype. Actually, it led to a, a kind of new form of creativity. Many of the class were absolutely really uh, enraptured about this person with a foreign accent being Skyped into the to the lesson. Now, I don't know if that broke the rule or not. Nobody really knew. I don't think the teachers knew because there was no law really to uh, factor in whether somebody can be Skyped into a class and whether they needed a background check. So when there's creativity, uh, laws still have to be created for it. The second sign is that creativity creates faith or expectancy. You know, we're putting this picture up of the circus and uh, this particular circus, whenever they do a tightrope act, they always say that the person is going to attempt to do this act. They're going to attempt to walk across 
the tightrope. They never say they're gonna walk across the tightrope because it doesn't create any kind of expectancy. It doesn't get people to lean forward to see if they're really gonna make it. Now this person's probably done it a thousand times, but they build tension and they use, use the word attempt. He's gonna to attempt to, to make you think, oh, maybe he won't, maybe he'll fall, what could happen? That's just a little form of creativity that creates expectancy. Um, I remember in a youth ministry we ran, we set up the room in various different ways in order that nobody knew what was gonna happen when they first walked in. Were they gonna walk in and the stage would be at the side or would they walk in and the stage would be in the circle? We didn't put many props on the walls or decorations. We blanked out uh, all the walls and just used screens so we could change the color and the theme every time we did a new series. And what we found was this created expectation and because people were expecting something different, uh, they kind of like their faith was lifted a little bit because they were wondering what's gonna happen. Many people walk into a church and they already know exactly what's gonna happen. And we don't have that kind of expectancy or that level of faith being lifted. So when we're creative, it creates anticipation, expectation, and therefore lifts uh, hope and faith that something new is going to happen. So one of the questions I would ask you is when you walk into a room, do people expect something new? Is there a sense of expectancy? Maybe that's a sign that you're creative. The third thing would be this, the third sign of creativity. Creativity creates culture. Several years ago, the New York Times ran an article saying that the radio is for the future, but this newfangled idea of TV is not, that it's gonna die out. And the reason they said this was that radio, you, don't, you can do lots of other things while you're listening to the radio, but they pointed out that for the TV, you have to like focus on the TV. And they said, American families are never gonna find the time to watch the TV and purely concentrate on it. Of course, they were wrong. Not long afterwards, uh, it was deemed that 25 hours on average per week was how much time an American family spent watching the TV. And the New York Times had made a fundamental mistake when it comes to creativity. They thought that creativity fits into culture, where it's actually creativity changes culture. The TV changed America. It changed American culture in many, many different ways. With that in mind, just look at these three sidewalk art pictures. If you notice, they're a little bit strange. They kind of add depth. You have to kind of look at them twice particularly like this third one where the lady's uh, purposely riding over the plank of wood, even though of course there's no plank of wood there. The reason I point this out is that creativity has to mess with fundamentals. And in this case, creativity messes with the fundamental way we perceive the world. So there are three signs of creativity. With that in mind, let's look at our workshop. This is a slightly odd workshop and the idea comes from Edward de Bono. So let me explain. This is called the Random Words Workshop. And the whole point of this is to lead into our main theme for today. So it's a way of just exercising our creativity. Let me explain it to you. See if you can connect any of the following random words to another word in order to create something new, such as an improved or alternative use of one of the words. For example, if the list was laser, toast, eyebrow, kiss, toes, then two options might be 
A laser could be used in a toaster to cut fun shapes in a toast for children. Or toenails could maybe be more accurately cut by a laser. So this is just a simple exercise to get you think, how can I connect these two different words or these different words and come up with something creative? But let me give you the actual list that I'm gonna give you today. Shoe, candle, punch, robot, tortoise, love, and swimming. I've kind of helped you out there by giving you more words than Edward de Bono normally gives in his exercise. So connect some of those words up. Maybe when you've connected one to another, see if you can add another word in and keep making them fit together. See how many words you could actually include out of those six or seven. Okay, I know it's a little bit of a strange workshop, but it will get your creative juices going and then we'll look at our main theme in the next session. So I don't know how well you did there, if you felt like you failed miserably or you, you did really well. Um, you could always email me and tell me some of the ideas that you had. Let's move on to this second section, collaboration. We're gonna talk about an equation to help us understand how collaboration leads to creativity. Now, in my opinion, probably the greatest example of collaboration is the Bible, the way the Bible was put together. Let me give you some facts that you may or may not know about the Bible. It contains 66 different books and was written by about 40 different people from many walks of life. There were kings and peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, scholars. Over a period of 1800 years, dating from around 1500 BC to around 100 years after Christ. Different places, wilderness, dungeon, palaces. It was written in different seasons, war and peace. In different moods, the heights of joy and the depths of despair. On three continents, Asia, Africa and Europe. In three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic and Greek. And yet amazingly, something like 40 generations separate the first and last author, and yet it fits so well together. What an incredible, incredible collaboration the Bible is. How amazing is it that God entrusted his story to the collaboration of mankind? I think that's kind of amazing. Now, when we think about that, there's a problem with collaboration. The problem that, that kind of um, some people think limits our creativity, and that is systems. Edward de Bono says this. There are those who believe that any disciplined or systematic approach is the opposite of creativity. This view is complete garbage and shows a lack of understanding of the fundamental nature of creative thinking. We cannot let systems or rules or traditions give us an excuse not to be creative because absolutely, in many ways, they help us. They help us use our creativity to make a difference in the world. One of Edward de Bono's little stories is uh, this idea of a man who walks down the road and he's suddenly jumped on by a gang of men who tie him up in ropes and then they pass him a violin. If the ropes were cut, does that mean automatically the man can play the violin? Of course it doesn't, that would be absolute nonsense. So these things are in us, uh, creativity is already in us. 
Um, just because they're systems does not mean we can't be creative. In fact, the systems, when you think about the last episode, sometimes give us that tension to help create uh, a new form of creativity. So let's think about that for a moment. The brain is designed to be non-creative without systems. If we didn't have systems, because of the choices we have in life, life would literally be impossible. So let me show you the book that I'm referencing uh, a few times in this particular episode. It's Edward de Bono's Creativity Workout. Now in this book, he makes this staggering statement. I've not been able to verify uh, the figures, but I, I certainly think the point is true. He says that if you woke up in the morning and you had 11 pieces of clothing to put on, then you have multiple choices. In fact, apparently he says you have 39,916,800 ways of getting dressed in the morning. Again, that number seems very high to me, but I get the point. If you had all those choices and no system or no structure, it just drive you crazy. In fact, he says that if you tried a different outfit every minute, it would take you 76 years to go through all the different possibilities. Now, some people will say, you know, if I was rich, I would be generous. And when we're married, they will love me more and show me more affection. And other people say, if I had no systems, if I was totally free, if I had freedom, I would be creative. But it's the wrong way of understanding it. Creativity does not come because of what happens on the outside. Creativity happens because of what's on the inside. And the biggest problem, I think, uh, for us, the thing that we don't like is the idea of standardization, which is difficult because a few years ago, I felt God say to me that we had to standardize the way we do things across pays. So let's look at the benefit of standardization. So a definition of standardization is the process of developing and implementing technical standards. In other words, like we did on pays, we set the standard and then we made that standard compulsory across the board. What are the benefits of standardization? Well, as one person put it, this is probably the main reason for standardization. The goal of industrial design has always been mass production. So this idea that standardizing things means it leads to increase quite often, means you can produce more. I don't know if you know what was the first ever standardized object in the world. It was actually created by the first emperor of China. When he conquered the whole of China and brought China together and unified it, he decided to standardize two things, the language and also uh, the ways of measuring things so people could work together and collaborate better. But the other thing he did was he standardized one particular object and it's the first uh, historical record we have of something being standardized and it was arrows, the arrows that people use when they went to battle and when they went to war. And the reason for this was really simple. Before that had happened, people would fight, they would create their own arrows and their own bows, but when somebody fell down, their partner, their colleague, their fellow warrior could not reach down and pick up their arrows because they were a different size or weight or balance. So the emperor decided that what they would do is they would create one or two standards of arrows that everybody had to create. And the benefit is told in the following story. 
During the Battle of Champing, the state of Qin drafted all males over 15 years of age. Although these conscripts with only one or two years of training would be no match individually against their aristocratic warrior enemies who had years of experience, they made up for it with superior standardization. So as I said a few years ago on Pays, we decided to uh, standardize our goals and objectives and that quite quickly led to something we weren't expecting. The benefit was not only that um, we were able to raise standards across pays no matter where people were and make sure the training was the same no matter where people were. But also it led to a, a surprising benefit which was that uh, Bible colleges were able to validate and confirm what we were able to do so that if people did pays in one part of the world or a different part of the world they could get validated and accredited for what they did. So standardization is one of the forms you could say of creativity. It doesn't limit us, it leads us into creativity. Now with that, uh, thinking about that, let's go into our second workshop. Please discuss the two illustrations um, on your screen. What does illustration A teach us about collaboration and what does illustration B teach us about collaboration? So what we see from that workshop, I think, is that one person's perspective limits our creativity. It limits the variety we can see around us and the options that we can see as well. Whereas collaboration makes use of the different people in the room. So how do you figure out how many people there are in a room? How many different relationships? How much capacity there is for collaboration? Well, let me move on to our equation. So the way we work out the number of relationships in a room is we get the number of people in a room times itself minus the number of people in a room and divide that by two. So in a room of two people, there's one relationship. In a room of three people, there are three relationships. But as a crowd builds, something magical happens in this equation. So in a room of 100 people, there are 4,950 relationships. The question is, how do we get those different people to collaborate together in such a way as they create the maximum amount of creativity? So I've given you the equation. Let me now tell you exactly how to get those people collaborating together. There are three ingredients that you need. First of all, we provide the purpose. A problem doesn't motivate people, but a purpose does. So you need to give people a very clear why so they know what they're aiming for. You don't want people to go what we call on pays the diverted mile. We want them to know the end goal. So first of all, you have to give a very clear purpose. What are we trying to achieve here? We're not trying to be just creative for the sake of being creative or brainstorming for the sake of it. What is the end goal? So first of all, provide the purpose. Secondly, provide the apparatus. In other words, you need a way of getting people to talk to each other rather than simply talking to you. So I can provide apparatus like this where I'm talking to you, but I need to provide a way where you can talk to each other. So for instance, the workshops do that, but also when people go online and they connect with each other about live wire, they share ideas and there's a collaboration that's more beneficial than simply me talking to you. 
So you need an apparatus, but the apparatus needs to specifically shine a light on the best ideas. So that people know if they have a good idea, there's gonna be a way that that idea is given some kind of platform and everybody can see it. The third ingredient is to provide the permission. We need to provide people the permission to tinker and to play with uh, what we've given them to do. So we, the way we do that is we give them the purpose and we say, you've got to, you can play with this, you, you can feedback ideas to us as long as they reach the end goal and as long as they fit within the guidelines that we've given you and the structure that we've given you. Again, structure is not a bad thing. Without it, people would just be coming up with all sorts of random ideas that would take us nowhere and in many different directions. So we give people the purpose, we give them the apparatus, and we say, hey, you've now got permission to take this the extra mile, but not the diverted mile. Now, an example of this would be because you're loved. Um, so the guys in Ireland, Matt Riley and his team, they took our mission distinctive, they understood it really well, and they tried new ideas and they came up with something called Because You're Loved. And then they fed it back to us and we collaborated again. We took it from kind of like one or two programs to make it three different things, a way you could show your faith, um, the way you could speak out your faith, and the way you could bring people to faith. So I've just come back from Seattle, it's a wonderful city, um, worked with a great church over the weekend and when I walked into the church there were Because You Love banners absolutely everywhere in this church because the church is about to launch into a Because You Loved year. Over the next year this church of 2000 are about to do the three different Because You Love campaigns. It's an idea that started in a small town in Ireland but is spread worldwide, partly because we've been able to standardize it. We gave it structure, but there was creativity because we provided purpose, the apparatus that shone a light on the best ideas, and then we gave people permission and we told them what they could tinker with and what they couldn't tinker with. Okay, so with that in mind, let's look at our final workshop. Please think about an area of your work that requires creativity. You could choose the area of your work that you've been using as a case study in the last two episodes. Then please discuss these three questions. Number one, who else can you involve and how can you help them understand the purpose? So maybe your team's working on a project together. Why not include more people? Why not grasp more people, but make sure they understand the purpose? Secondly, what apparatus could you use to highlight their best ideas? What apparatus could you put in place where they can share their ideas, they will be highlighted to everybody else in order to increase capacity and increase collaboration? So number three, what can you put in place to make sure they know they have permission to help you and create new ways to accomplish the task, but with the structure that does not waste everyone's time? Okay, so this final creativity uh, equation or this particular workshop is not so much about you being creative, but how can you include others and help them be creative with you? Hopefully, uh, this is helpful. Hopefully, this equation will remind you of the capacity in a room, a capacity to increase collaboration. Thanks for listening to this series of LiveWise. Hopefully, they've been helpful. Hopefully, they've led and um, launched you into some new ways of being creative. Bless you. Goodbye.